Hello and welcome to another Solar Scout podcast. Uh, I'm joined by Alejandro Alonso Lopez and Ida Wood to discuss stuff that actually happened this weekend. It was an immensely busy weekend. We had racing in the UK, in Hungary, in a bunch of other places that I've already forgotten because so much has happened over the past few days. Um, Formula 2, Formula 3, Vision Formula 4, Trek, GB3, GB4, and probably a bunch of other stuff as well, but I think we'll be focusing mostly on F2 and F3, and W series, of course, which did happen, and I covered it, and I just forgot about it. So um, we'll get straight in there with Formula 2, uh, wins for Duan and for Teo Porcher. It was a win Teo Porcher really needed. He had any, He hadn't had a good... Saturday, so a win for Paul Chair seems quite good for his championship hopes. Alejandro. Yes, definitely. He's way closer to Felipe Drugovic right now, so on the in the standings. So that's that's a good thing for him and especially after what happened on on Saturday, I think that he he's in, in a much better position now going into the summer break and also them for, for the triple hitter. So, yeah, I definitely think that he's uh, a strong contender now and will that the triple hitter will be key in order to, to see who's claiming the title at the end of the season, or at least that's what I, what I think. Not not such a, a good weekend for Drogovic either. In race one, he had contact with in a in a quite a strange platform contact with Logan Sargent and Dennis Halger, which took Halger out of the race. And Paul also then ran wide to try and avoid that drama. But then in race two, he only finished P19. So what 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 happened to Djokovic? P19, P9, sorry. What happened to Djokovic this, this weekend? I don't really know. I mean, he was fasting in qualifying. I was, I think, wasn't he P3 or something like that? No, he was close to to, to top three. I, I don't remember it exactly, but he was fast in qualifying. And he he wasn't that slow either in, in race one, which I think he, he finished P4 or something like that. But indeed, the future race didn't didn't go his way and it was a bad one for him but as always you know when you have 28 races throughout a season you always have races that go your way races that don't go your way and races that are just average races so as always I always try to to stay calm all over this and I don't really think it's a disaster for for Felipe. Of course, the fact that Pocher won on, on Sunday closes the, the gap a little bit more than, than he would have expected probably and makes him things a bit more difficult for him. But he is still on the lead and that's what, what, what's important right now for him, I, I guess. And if he doesn't go, go mad thinking what could have go wrong and what is going to happen and focuses on on what's remaining, I think he can get the job done. 
Yeah, I actually got to watch it for once, which was exciting, seeing things on a, on a telly screen. Uh, I watched more of the feature race stuff, but I did see a bit of the sprint. I, I think because it's a front-limited track, that's definitely not where uh, the strength of MP Motorsport or Felipe Dragovic lies, but consistently somewhere towards the front, so so he's doing a good job. Um, definitely the star of the weekend for me was Enzo Fittipaldi. He got on the podium in both races, a lock-up in the sprint race without that he potentially could have won and then on sunday he came very close to getting ahead of terry porsche and, and maybe winning that one as well so uh we almost had a, a double winner in in a very surprised driver there at, at chara's racing system i think the main thing of the weekend and it was the same with f1 was the harder compound of the tires really really struggled and i'm not sure how much development has gone between the 2021 spec compound and the 2022 spec one but definitely the general consensus is although some teams you know just struggled because they have cars that, or car setups that don't suit it the tires themselves weren't really like suitable either Pirelli brought in the wrong compounds for the weekend or um quite simply the compound itself isn't uh the greatest because we did see a lot of rubber actually ripping off the tires after like eight or nine laps and you know it's a front limited track you've got a lot of right hand bends so the front left is going to be tortured but the level of degradation and even the thermal degradation as well on a cold track was not encouraging so that was kind of my main takeaway but equally i do not want to insult pirelli too much they have a great product most of the time i suppose they're the tires that are being tires for everyone so the drivers who can manage them properly in these extreme conditions that's got to be great for for their development as the driver racing on Pirelli rubber um i just wanted to touch on you mentioned Sirpaldi, which was it was very insane for him uh, for him to do quite quite as well as he did he's kind of been the been the surprise of of the season for me i think we've got a We've got a piece on him. Uh, Alejandro, you've been speaking to him quite a bit. So how how has he been? How has, did he take that um, kind of really strong weekend for him? So, yeah, I mean, I think he'll be delighted for, for those results, especially as we, we recorded a, post, a podcast with him a couple of months ago, and he stressed out the fact that he, it took, he went through a very difficult recovery process. So, I mean, I, I, I suppose, and I understand that the fact that he's getting these results now make good to him. I mean, when you have to, you put such a big effort as he has done in, in the last few months in order to, to recover fully and he still limps on, on his on his foot on his injured foot so it's it's difficult for for a driver when you have to perform at, at that very high level and everything counts and you have those limitations that add to to other factors that can make things difficult for you i mean and finally getting this kind of, of results which he didn't let's say on, on pure pace because he, he was really fast this weekend actually 
So it's something good to see. And I'm, I'm happy for him because, as you said, I, I've spoken with him a few times this year and he's always been a, a nice guy. And, and the fact that he, you see him working hard and put, I'm putting a, a lot of, of effort into, into it, working with the team until late on track and and all that, he stays until very late in the paddock. I could see that. So that's always, always good to see those drivers that put big effort getting getting a reward for that. Yeah, it's it's good to see a Ginetta Junior graduate doing well, even if he didn't want to do Ginetta Juniors. Um, Sepoli so wasn't the only Brazilian doing well in Hungary this weekend. It was the winter Colette and the wet. Um, I don't have any memory of, of Formula 3, so um, who wants to talk us through that um, mental race? Yeah, sure. Uh, as you said, Kayo won the the sprint race on, on Saturday. He had a very strong performance. He was extremely fast. I was actually quite a bit disappointed with his pace on, on the future race, you know, because the, the race, the feature race started on, on wet conditions and then it dried out, but he was so strong on, on Saturday that I was kind of, of disappointed with what happened on on Sunday. But anyway, he he's a fantastic driver and I also think that the, the fact that I'm kind of, of regret that Franco Colapinto had his issues, electrical issues as he explained in in the post-race press conference because it, it's a shame we couldn't have a, a longer fight, even if we had a fight between the two, which was brilliant to see, you know, side by side, wheel to wheel and, and respecting each other without contact, going so close for, for several laps. And, and still making it through the corners in such a slippery conditions, it's, it's something to, to love to see as a, a racing enthusiast. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we, we got to see that fight. And obviously, I'm, I'm glad that Kayo capitalized on, on the speed MP Motorsport has had throughout the, throughout the season because they've been lacking the results. And finally, it seems that this weekend they, they got things right. Also, Kushmani who also spoke to us in, in the previous round in, in Asia and said he, he was a bit rusty and in this early stages of the of the season got onto the step onto the podium for the first time this year and also then Alex Smolier of course won the race on, on Sunday. So it, it was a pretty an amazing weekend for MT Motorsport. Yeah, it, it sounded like a, a great test for all those drivers. Um, Smolia seems very happy with his win. It's, it, it's kind of a... Um, it's good to see that he's, uh, he's, he's doing well considering everything that's gone on for in the background for, for him. Um, there was an electrical issue for Colapinto, which... Um, seemed uh, seemed a bit of a confusing situation. I I did not uh, again. I did not catch the race. There was so much racing going on. But what what on earth was that about? 
Yeah, well, apparently his his engine was losing power at some points, and he says he was doing some power cycles and also lifting the throttle a little bit in the stress because he felt that like when he was full for very long on on the throttle, full throttle, he he was losing power. But actually, he also admitted that he wasn't sure whether what he was doing was the the right thing or not. But the fact that he kept his head down, kept pushing, and didn't lost his nerves throughout the race, when you have very close competition, it's it's very easy to to, to lose it and actually put a wheel on the wrong place or, or something like that while doing all, all that stuff. It's it was a brilliant race from him and yeah we, we got to see some some great stuff obviously we also knew Colapinto from the previous seasons and we knew he was a, a great driver but the the fact that these things happen in racing in Formula 3 and drivers are able to to manage those sort of situations just show how well prepared are drivers nowadays when they step up into a Formula 3 car uh, yeah, for sure. Um, going into the summer breaks now, we, we quite an interesting situation in in Formula Three. Whereas in F two we have one like clear leader, and then people trying to catch up. In F two, in F three, sorry, now we have Isaac Kadjar and Victor Martins equal on points. Um, Leclerc not all that far away from them. And what what how is this? Good for us three to have this t- sort of title fight. No one, or even two people, kind of like running away for, with it, and then front of the order. Or does it kind of just kind of, kind of, kind of, um, like dilute the type of title fight? Do you think going now going into um, silly season with F three drivers presumably starting the hunt for F two seats, etc. Uh, I I don't think it does dilute it. There's certainly there's a plane going over. Uh, there's a quality to having a really close championship fight, and particularly when you've got drivers in different teams. In this case, we've got Hadjar from High Tech and Victor Martin from ARTGP. And the fact that High Tech's fighting for the title is quite a turnaround in form for the team in this championship. They haven't really, you know, connected with the tires and the car until this year. And then they've been a solid front runner with at least two of their cars. Um, one thing I would say, though, is the next two... Well, to fair, the Hungarians are track that's difficult for overtaking, but we did have a wet race and then kind of like a wet-to-dry one. Then Spa, you do have a lot of slipstreaming, but after that is Zandvoort, where there's barely any overtaking. So qualifying performance is really probably going to be the key indicator for who wins this title now, the fact that they're already level going into the final three rounds. Um, last weekend it was Smolio who took pole, who's obviously way out of contention and he's missed a round as well. I think after Spa, if no one's got a, like a clear margin out of the top two or if Leclerc hasn't closed in, then it might really come down to the Zandvoort qualifying session on who is going to be the driver to beat in, in the points table for the final two races. That's the risk Efri has, huge grids, tight tracks, the car that's very difficult to overtake in not really any kind of overtaking aids, unlike F1. So, yeah, it could be quite a, a dull end to the season, potentially, even if we do have a close title race, purely because you've got 30 cars on track. 
Yeah, I agree with uh, with Ida on, on the fact that it's great for for everyone having various teams in the in the title fight and, and various drivers as well. I, I'd say at this point, even Roman Stanek, even if he's a bit far away, he, I could make the case for for him still having a chance at the at the big Torridge, you know, we had Trident very strong last year at Spife, even if it was very different conditions. They they were really stronger. So why not? Why why not they can can be stronger again? I, I'd like to, to see that also to to have more, more people in the fight. But I I agree with her also on, on the fact that Sambor qualifying could be a determinant factor, especially because of all those reasons she mentioned. So we'll have to, to wait and see. But first, we, we have to, to go to, to Spain and to, to Tambor. And then even if, if there is a chance for, for several drivers winning at Monza, we will we'll have to wait and see because Monza, like Sambor also, and like Spa, they, there is a chance for slipstream and some good on-track action. So if those who are a bit, a bit on, on the back foot now can survive Sambor round, then perhaps things can happen at Monza. Yeah, I, 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 generally, I do generally agree. And at the end of the day, is that, that fighting is what we, what we love. For F3, you can dominate a dominate a championship and then go go nowhere as we as we've seen. So I guess having someone to fight against is is quite quite good for your um, developing as a driver. Um, quick, quickly go back to F2, talking about somebody to to fight against. Um, it's not all not racing for F1 teams that has been in the news. We also had Logan Sargent doing F3 one in Austin that's come up. Um, Sargent, I don't remember how much of a mention he got in our Who Will Go To F1 podcast, but I've I, I said it multiple times. I really like Sargent as a driver and I like to see the Americans going down the European route because I'm selfish and like seeing great drivers racing in my time zone. So, um, good for Sergeant. Does this change anybody's anybody's thoughts about his likelihood to being in F1? Um, or is it just say Williams needs to fulfil their young driver quota for the for the year? I think potentially just the quota part. Obviously, Williams have already made comments about how much they rate him and that he kind of deserves an F1 chance. But they used Nick DeVries earlier this year and DeVries will be probably concentrating on private testing because it's, well, we don't know he's got a Formula E scene next year, but if he did, then he might be doing test days with the Gen 3 chassis um, at like Califat or tiny tracks like that. Uh, to prepare for the 2022-23 season. At the same time, he's also got Mercedes Sim duties on F1 weekends, so he's unlikely to be available for the car regardless. So I'd suggest that Sargent would be the most logical thing to do to, to put him in the car. And and also because W Series is racing, I think, at Cota, so there's no way Chadwick could 
could do the pre-practice session either. Um, what one thing that does make it make it more convincing that they do like have faith in Sergeant is a lot of F1 teams haven't even announced their free practice like rookies per se at all. Uh, we know Sauber slash Alfa Romeo is actively trying to get Terry Porsche in the seat, but Porsche wants it to be once his F2 commitments out of the way. So that's probably going to be in the gap between Monza and Abu Dhabi. But the issue is at tracks like Singapore, Suzuka, um, pretty much all of the Asian leg tracks and South Middle American tracks, you're not actually going to want to run an inexperienced driver in the car. You're going to be really wanting all the data you can get from those practice sessions. So potentially we might see a lot of teams just chucking rookies in for free practice one in Abu Dhabi because it's quite likely they'll use them for the postseason test four days later anyway. So it'll be like learn the car and then you'll be back in the car three days time on different tires. The fact that Sargent has been announced prior to you know most teams deciding their strategies on this would indicate that Williams has some kind of plan for him. But based off other F1 teams' behaviour, based on the inability for a lot of F1 teams to even get juniors into F1 at the moment, it's highly unlikely that it's actively with a 2023 seat in mind or even 24 seat. It's probably a combination of PR because he's American and it's American track. Um, not sure if he actually knows the track, but he, when he joined Williams, when he was signed by them last year, he did like a photo shoot at Cota. Um, and also, he's probably not required for sim duties that weekend either. If they've got, uh, I'm thinking maybe like Harrison Scott actually uh, could be doing sim duties. So Sergeant's free to go to Cota. Um, sure, the crowd would enjoy it as well. So, so it's a positive news story for for Williams by announcing it, and particularly announcing it now because we've got all this attention on. The, the craziness of Alpine and Aston Martin. So for Williams to get an announcement out during a very busy news week where a lot of people are looking at F1, that's a good PR call by them. Presumably Sargent's also signed a, a McLaren contract that we, we're just waiting to hear about. But uh, Alejandro, your thoughts on Sargent, he's not... How, he doesn't seem to have done too badly in F2, but he hasn't been the uh, the runaway leader shall we say so your thoughts on on his fp1 chances i guess yeah well i think i i mentioned it already in the in the podcast we were recording a week ago or a couple of weeks ago about f1 juniors having a chance to, to get to f1 and i think that I, I read him very highly to be honest i think he's an extremely fast driver especially over one lap and he had uh, he was having a, a very good momentum coming into into France with those two consecutive feature race wins. Well, one of them on track, or one of them because of the two worst decisions, but it's wins anyway, and and you get points for that. So, but then he had the, the technical failure in, in France, and also this weekend it didn't go his his way either. So if might have lost a bit of momentum, but anyway, he's a great talent. And, and the fact I've been actually surprised that he's been announced so early, and just with all this Fernando Alonso Oscar Piastri mess going on, that he has been announced in the middle of that has surprised me a little bit. But it's always good to see drivers and, and drivers, and especially Formula Two drivers, announced for pre practice 
sessions in, in Formula One, especially because last year when we, we had this rule announced, lots of people hoped that it would prompt Formula Two drivers into Formula One seats during the, the Formula One weekends. And it hasn't been like that, which, yeah, which I, I understand because obviously Formula Two drivers, and especially with this year's schedules, have their own commitments and going from one paddock to the other and switching cars is a difficult thing, as Yuri Bibbs mentioned when he, he had his FP1 outing. So, yeah, the fact, as I just said, I could see many drivers doing their, their FP1 in, in Abu Dhabi or no, or also in the, in the American tour. I mean, Brazil, Mexico, also the United States of America. We had all those three races last year and we, we didn't have Singapore or Satuka. So I think it's going to be more unlikely that we, we see anyone stepping in there perhaps. And I, I, I'm not saying it's going to happen perhaps a big perhaps uh, Ayumu Iwasa in, in Japan if Honda wants to, to put him in, in the car but it's highly unlikely in my opinion and I think it's going to be easier to, to see Formula 2 drivers driving Formula 1 cars in, in either Brazil, Mexico or Texas. I think Abu Dhabi is probably the most likely. I remember Jack Aitken a couple of weeks ago was saying like you want to be somewhere that you that you know really well and of the tracks that are left this year, Abu Dhabi is going to be the tracks that these junior drivers probably know the best because they've got the whole young driver test and things like that. Um, Talking about Williams rookies, we had W Series this weekend, and for the first time this season, Jamie Chadwick didn't win. Um, I I know it's incredible. It was Alice Powell, which is equally as exciting. Um, w Series seems to be kind of missing that that something to kind of make it interesting. Uh, I I. I still don't entirely blame the series, given how exciting Fretta was for five years, just five years of existence. But, um, yeah, it wasn't the most terrible of W Series races I've ever watched, and there were some good good battles, and it was good to see Alex Powell back, back to, to winning ways. Alejandro, you have something to say. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Jamie Chadwick didn't didn't win, but you could argue he, he could have a chance if it wasn't because of that late safety car, which was brought out quite late, actually, because we had yellow flags for like two laps or, or three laps before the safety car was out. So, yeah, if, if the safety car were out when actually the, the car, I think it was Bianca Bustamante could be or, or someone. Like that, uh, stopping on, on track after spinning, hitting the wall. She tried to, to get the car back to pit lane, but she couldn't. She stopped on the pit entry, and after three or or four laps, the gel, the safety car was out. So at the end, we had very few few minutes of of racing. So yeah, you could you could really argue that the safety car. Were, were out earlier, she could have had a, a chance at the win because she was really close to to Alice Powell at some point after the race resumed, but she made a mistake out of turn 
11, I think it was, and, and she, she ran wide, and therefore she dropped back a bit. But otherwise, she could have, have won the race. I think she was close. But it was also definitely very good to see other drivers winning in that series. Okay, I will move away from Hungary and ask anything to add on W series. No, okay, I will I will move away from Hungary. In fact, we had um we don't have Roger here, which is a shame because just looking at some of the news reports for Frack were they was quite a mental time. We had um Wins for Dino Begnovich and Gabrielle Bortoletto. I really hope I got those first names right. And 16 drivers being penalised in one race for not ending the pits on the red flag. And then another three drivers got penalised for different infractions. Which I, I was just reading the reading the news reports for the, for this. Um, you should go. You should go check her out because it's. A, the most insane news report I have seen in a long time. Um, uh, we also have some really good paddock work this weekend from Steve Whitfield, who was in um, the GB, who's always in the GBC paddock doing some really great stuff there. Uh, there were wins for Joel Grandforce, Tom Levin, and Marcus Flack in GB3, and a hat trick of wins for Nicholas Taylor in GB4. But a really weird situation with Luke Browning going on with parts missing and unable to buy new parts and things like that. So definitely go check out that because the very junior levels of motorsports is where the weirdest things happen and the the most fun things to look back on and say when a driver doesn't announce for an F1 team, I remember when he was in such and such and doing such and such and in British Formula 4 we had wins for Joseph Lope, Georgie Dimitrov and McLaren Jr. Ugo Ugochukwu. A disappointing win weekend for Alex Dunn who for the first time this season didn't win a race but he still leads by 49 points so um, I don't think he leaves Scotland that unhappy. So that was what's going on away from Hungary there was probably a bunch of other things that I've forgotten about because there was such um, there was so much going on. I anything we should look out for on the website this this weekend this week. Sorry. Um, there was lots of racing in America. We had Formula Regional Americas, United States F4, USF Juniors, and then supposed to have Formula Development, but that was cancelled. Uh, and then also IndyCar was in action at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We had more silly season stuff going on there. And the latest in the Alex Pillow, is he, is he not going to McLaren for 2023 saga? Uh, Christian Lundgaard, who is another Alpine junior and was actually outperforming Piastri last year in the private test program, to our knowledge. Um, he ended up finishing second, his first IndyCar podium on Sunday. And he's looking very close to securing a second year in the series with Rahel, Letterman, Lanigan racing. So that's very good for him. I imagine his ties of Alpine might end permanently because he's kind of on like a, a loan thing at the moment. But like Callum Eilert, who, although was a Ferrari reserve, then went off into GTs and then Jugendkos, Hollinger racing, IndyCar seat. Um, so a lot of racing then. IndyCar's back in action again this weekend. I feel like they've been racing every weekend for the last like five. 
uh, on the streets of Nashville, Indy Lights will be sporting for the first time. I anticipate that's going to be utterly crazy because last year in the IndyCar race, we had Marcus Ericsson running over the back of someone, going into the sky, and then somehow winning the race. So Indy Lights drivers are not as skilled as Marcus Ericsson, so I don't think they're going to be as, you know, successful if they then have those kinds of crashes. Um, but ahead of the weekend, we've already had big news. TJ Speed has lost its one driver. It had two drivers about two, three weeks ago. Then Kiffin Simpson left to go to HMD Motorsports. And then now James Rowe Jr. has left to go to HMD Motorsports too, uh, replacing, I believe, Antonio Saravale. Tim Neff, who runs TJ Speed, says the team's still going to kind of be in the paddock. They're going to help engineer the Abel Motorsports car of Jacob Abel. Uh, you can probably hear geese up above me. Uh, I'm outside. Um, so he's going to be basically, the team will be there, but they don't have any drivers. It's a bit confusing. Um, and they've kind of declared that for next year, they're going to do Formula Regional Americas, and they're going to try and continue all their other programs and get into USF Juniors, which will have a new car. So it's, keep an eye on Indy Lights just in case someone pops up in a TJ Speed car and we do actually have... Um, them on the grid. Otherwise, I think the you know the, the series should have improved under Roger Pence when when he brought the promotional rights to Indy Lights under the wing of IndyCar, which he also owns. It increased interest in the championship. A lot of people are like, "Oh, it's a Renaissance for Indy Lights." They've gone from having seven cars to eleven uh, or something like that. But in reality, he's treated it like a business. He hasn't treated it like a racing series. The promotion of it's been awful. The PR, like the media and PR side, um, even like the live timing system has just been less reliable than it was in the past. And then we've had the first oval race of the year was only two weeks ago, which is really, really late in the calendar for you know a series that should be defined almost equally by its ovals and its street courses and, and its road courses. So that's a great shame for the series. I don't really see it getting any stronger next year, even though there's a lot of, apparently a lot of interest with new chassis, new teams, maybe a team coming from Europe, but the series needs to sort itself out because a lot of the teams are not happy with how some of the things are being run there. Um, we've also got ADACF4 racing at the Nürburgring. Equally, a bit like Indy Lights, we've, got, we've had drivers move teams in F4, and also, we don't know who's really going to be on the grid because a lot of the Italian F4 teams did do Grand Prix rounds. But now, because Nürburgring is not Grand Prix track anymore, there's going to have no incentive to race there. So we might only have a grid of like 13 cars, potentially, uh, kind of like the Genza Motorsport uh, Quartet and, and, and those kinds of entries, Souter Engineering and Design. Um, and then supporting that, Japanese F4, um, United Formula Ford at Brands Hatch and Castle Coombe Formula Ford 1600. So really, really niche stuff, basic club racing. Um, and we'll also be running a lot of features because we've got a lot and a lot of paddock interviews to to publish, to share more podcasts as well. We, we've got a lot of content coming up. So lots to check out on the website. Well, I think you've just sold it. So if you don't want to read about the 19 drivers getting penalties in one race, you've got plenty of other stuff to read about. Likely uh, news features and opinions on the fallout of silly season in senior series, as well as in its impact in various junior championships. Um, sign off now so you can go read all that and 
to, to tune in next week for another Homeless Scout podcast.